Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour. Our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Gregory Turner. And I'm your co-host, Brian J. Henderson. Brian, a lot has changed since our last show. Our last mm-hmm. show was last Tuesday, the night of the election, and a lot has changed. It's funny that you would say that, because that, that, you, you have a really good qualifying word when you say change. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that word change, I've heard that word being used so extensively this past you know, a couple of months and even in the past year or so. And, you know, Greg, with all that's happened, you know, we have the first minority elected president, first African-American president in the history of the United States. And so everybody has a wonderful, great sense of pride, you know, but the fact remains, what has changed? i tell you what has changed, Brian, the way – when we were little, the way we grew up, the kids are, are they don't believe the same things. You can't teach them to not not play with the the black kids or the black kids not play with the white kids. Everybody, you know, they're playing together now. They voted different this time. He reached out to the young people, and Brian, they made the you know they they pushed. They pushed the envelope this time. They were the deciders in the in the uh, in this election. I think their votes is what really carried you know everything over because there were so many young people and they were so excited about voting. And I think what happens, Brian, a lot of times we take our kids for granted. We take the youth for granted, and they are proving us wrong every single day. Yeah, I totally agree. You know, it's amazing what you can learn from a child. It's, a, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, I've seen kids in my walk, even in my own house. My children amaze me more and more as I see them, you know, progress in their musical talents, you know, and just to see my son as he progressed on the football field the past couple of weeks, you know. It amazes me because you know how you, know, you have a certain level of expectation for, you know, anybody. You know, if you have a certain level of expectation for people you're around, people you work with, for your family members or children, what have you, and when they begin to exceed that expectation or that level of expectation, well, first thing that happens is you're naturally happy about it. But the second thing that happens is your level of expectation now is raised. And so, you know, it's it's wonderful that we have a guest on tonight that's going to tell us how to deal with our kids because, you know, we have those issues of raised expectations and, you know, how do you deal with those levels of raised expectations when maybe they're too high or maybe they're misdirected? You know, so he's going to talk to us on how to better understand our teenagers and the culture that they live in because you got to remember, you know, now we have to give our children a certain level of respect. You know, and see, most people would disagree. We don't have to do that. They have to do what we say. But see, nowadays, our kids don't do what they what we say. They do what we do. They watch. They watch. And that's how they learn. Everything now is more cognitive, where everything that they see, that they feel, that they touch, 
they can absorb they absorb that information. They watch the TVs and the computer screens, and they and they suck it all in, and they absorb it. And so now we have to be more mindful of how we deal with our kids, and we also have to get to know them for who they are. Yes, and Brian, I'm, I'm and I'm so glad that our guest uh, decided to come back on. He was on once before, mm-hmm. and if if you're listening and you need someone to come in and speak at your function, or if you need someone to come in and speak at the church or on the corporate level and you're dealing with kids and you don't know how to deal with them, we have someone that's very passionate about it. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm calling him the expert on this because when you hear him speak, you'll hear the passion in him to to that he knows exactly what he's talking about. And, Brian, it, you know, when we go into the detention centers and jails, you can you feel the kid. And you're going to hear tonight someone is going to give us some tips and pointers on how we uh, can get to know our youth better. The topic for tonight's show is understanding today's youth. We're going to talk about a number of things. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about uh, the kids just learning to respect them and have them respect us. And, Brian, also we're going to talk about how the kids should respond when dealing with law enforcement, and how they should respond when dealing with authority, period. Yeah. I think that's something that they don't know how to do because we as adults, we messed up somewhere down the line, and we haven't really took the time to teach them how to deal with them. So we're definitely going to have a great show. And, Brian, I'm telling you, our guest tonight, he's powerful. You're going to hear his voice. You're going to hear the passion in him, and we're just going to have fun. Absolutely, absolutely. Without further ado, let's go ahead and, and bring him in. Tonight's guest is uh, our motivational speaker and best-selling author, Mr. Marcus Gerard. And Mr. Good Gerard, evening. are you with us? Yes. Good evening, my brothers. How are you tonight? Awesome. Awesome. We're good. We're good. Doing great. Very good. I, I'm also very uh, wonderful and very thankful to Almighty God. Uh, for the blessing of safe travel in and throughout America, and very happy to be on your show tonight. And I greet all of you with a great deal of love and respect, and uh, to your listening audience as well. Good evening to you, and I hope and pray that you are doing well tonight as well. Thank you so much. I, I want to start off. Yes, I want to start off by asking. Let's talk about the youth and how they deal with law enforcement. You know, with with the new election and the way things are right now, it, it just goes to show that our youth, they're changing a lot more than the older people would think, you know, because they look at things totally different now. And Brian and I, we deal with the youth, and we know that you do. But my my question is, when we see the youth and how they respond and react to law enforcement, they don't like them. They, they, right. They don't. They don't like them because all they see on television is this ugly, ugly side of the police officers, the brutality, and all of that kind of stuff. And these kids feel that you're not going to tell me what to do. You're not going to smother me like that. So when they respond to the police officers, they let them know up front that I'm not afraid of you. And you know, sometimes that come off um, the wrong way. You're going to make the police officer angry, and that kind of thing. Well, what? How should kids act when they're dealing with law enforcement? Well, that's an excellent question, 
especially in this particular day and time that we live in, um, I always advise our young people uh, according to the best that I have learned uh, over my young life and my adult life uh, because you never know when you're going to have to encounter a police officer. Uh, the police officers are in authority, uh, and they're not bound to show you any respect uh, as they go about handling you as a young person. And many of them don't like the young people as well. Uh, I know we just talked about how the young people don't like them, but the police officers, many of them don't like the young people, and they look for any reason at all to be a precursor to show them that they are in authority and that they, uh, they have what they call the might of right, you know, or the right of might, however you might want to phrase that. So I always tell our young brothers, that you should not travel in twos and threes and fours, especially when you're not sure of who's in the car with you. You know, uh, you, you, you could be a young man that's doing good. You, you could be a young man that's on the straight and narrow, but the boy that you're traveling with, he might have a little something, something on him. He could have a little piece, a little weed that could be the precursor to taking your life from you as you know it. Because if the police pull that young man over and that young man starts running or that young man starts bucking the police officer, now that young man has placed your life in jeopardy just as his life is now in jeopardy. So you as a young man want to be very careful about the company that you keep because every day that I drive across where I live here in the state of Georgia, I'm seeing young men hemmed up in uh, uh, two or three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten police cars behind one car, two young brothers uh, uh, not necessarily laid on the sidewalk or on the gravel, but, you know, arrested. Uh, uh, and the police are going through their car. So you got to be very wise as a young person as you deal with police officers. When I, and I know I don't carry any weapons, any drugs of any kind in my car or my person at all. I have no weapons in my home. So if a police officer ever showed up at my door, that's the first thing I'm going to tell him. I'm going to say, officer, uh, I, I don't have any weapons, any drugs of any kind in this house. And everybody in this house knows that we don't play no games like that because anything that you have, again, is a precursor for a police officer uh, uh, coming at you in the wrong way. I found that when you deal with officers with respect, when you respect their authority, then they respect you a lot better as a person. When, when you let them know up front that I respect your authority, and, you know, I tell young people all the time, when police have pulled you over, you are technically under arrest, That's right. meaning that your movement has been arrested. You know, you haven't physically been placed under arrest, but your movement has been arrested. So at that point, you have to let the officer know that you respect his right to do with his job, to do what he's doing. Even if you don't believe 
that, that he should be doing it, that is not the time to be telling that officer, you ain't got no right to be stopping me. And then, you know, a lot of our young brothers uh, have heard this song by Jay-Z, who has millions of dollars now. Jay-Z can say to, to a police officer that you ain't got no right to check what's inside of my glove compartment box. That's what he said in the song. And a lot of young brothers heard him say that, and now they going to tell some officer that he ain't got the right to check the, in their car. Well, the other side of what Jay-Z is saying is that if an officer asks you to check in your car and you don't want to let him check it, now you've given him the precursor to show enough check what's inside your car. Because remember, you a young black man, and remember, they don't need much of a reason to show you that, you know, they're going to go up in your car whether you want them or not. So it's in your interest to be very wise as you handle police officers. I personally, when I pulled over, because I like to speed a little bit, sometimes I run a little late to get to a, a workshop, brother, so I might be doing a little speed, and the officer, he may come up behind me, you know. But I want that officer to know that, you know, I ain't here to give him no problem. I don't try to debate him on the ticket. You know, sometimes they'll let you slide if they, they know you on your way to work with some young people. But I always keep my hand in the 1020. My hand is on the, both hands on the stand wheel. And I have my window rolled down. I, I always, uh, if my wallet is not in my pocket, it's in my glove compartment, and I ask the officer for permission. I say, officer, would you mind if I go in my glove compartment and get my wallet out? Uh, there's no weapons of any kind in this car. I'm just going in there. And then when the officer grants me permission, I slowly move over there to open up the uh, a glove compartment, and then I, I get my wallet, and then I slowly open the wallet to show them that it's not a gun. You know, because I've seen this skit that uh, uh, Michael Moore did on uh, TV, and he, he talked about the fact that black people needed to have an orange wallet because, you know, police officers in New York might shoot you if you pull out a wallet. So he said we all needed to have orange wallets or whatnot to show, so the police wouldn't make no mistakes with us. But wow. I want to show again the officer that you are in charge until the officer says you are free to go. I want to be very humble. If I'm playing music, when I get pulled over, the music immediately gets turned off in the car. And, again, see, this is showing good sense in this damn time. You don't need to be rolling high. You don't need to be riding dirty. You know, I know that brother sing that song, Chameleonaire, but no young person needs to be out in these streets riding dirty. You know, and I don't worry about the police officer pulling me over because I ain't high, I ain't licked up, I ain't loose on that goose. None of that craziness that some young people say that will get your butt thrown in jail and they can throw away the key. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I wasn't ready for that one. I mean, you just came out. Woo. Passion, passion, passion. Yes, sir. You know, my question initially was going to be about, you know, uh, how do you, when, when the officer approaches the car, but you covered that, you know, and I, when you, you did that 80-20, I remembered that because that's the first thing I learned when I, when I learned how to drive. 
because my brother actually is in law enforcement, and he said the first thing you do is 80-20. And I was like, 80-20? What does that mean? See, most people don't know that. They know that, oh, you put your hands on the steering wheel, but they never understood that 80-20 gives that officer a clear view of not only your hands, but also of your torso. So that officer can clearly see all the way through the car and know that you don't have anything underneath that you can reach down and grab. Right. That's exactly right. And you if know, you notice, they are very, nowadays, they ain't playing with a black man. They are oh, not no. playing with us at all. So it's in our best interest to show the officer that you have nothing to worry about me. I don't have nothing that I want to do to harm you in any shape, form, or fashion. And I'm telling you, that is the way we have to train these young men, even though they want to knock and buck. They want to show the officer that they got swagger, my swagger. That's what they say. I got swag, and this officer disrespected my swag. Well, do you want to live or do you want to die? Ride or die, young brother. If you yeah. handle the officer right, you ain't going to die, and you're going to continue to ride. But if you don't handle him right, you can end up pumped full of bullets, and you know if they go to court, you ain't going to get no justice. So you best to think and act wisely as you deal with the police. The police, to me, are not the enemy. The police got to do a job. And when you see what, if I'm a police officer and I'm looking at this TV and I'm looking at these rappers on TV and I'm looking at the swagger that they got and I'm looking at and I'm listening to the lyrics that they singing, well, if I'm a police officer, I'm approaching you as a young black man. You sitting in the car, you got your hair all braided up, you 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 twisting it. It smell like weed and reefer is in the car. You were doing a hundred on the highway. And you, if you do the speed limit, stay out of my way. See, I know you got that you you got that stuff in your body. So you know, can you really blame an officer when he comes to the car because he's scared? He's full of trepidation because you know the music today say unload a clip on him. You know, this is what the music is saying. So the officer, you know. If you handle him right and you let him know, hey, I respect your authority and I'm not here to cause you no problems at all, whatever that officer say, nobody needs to argue with the officer. Now, I see white folks on TV and the officers try to give them a ticket and they say, no, I'm not paying this, man. I don't want this ticket. And they take the ticket and throw it back out the window. Now, that's white folks. They can do that. But you and I, as black people, we know that we ain't got that kind of right, not yet, that we can throw the ticket out. Whatever it is you want to say to that officer, this is not the time to say it. You say those things when you're under better circumstances. That's all I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I think the most important part of that is that we have to remember even though we got an incoming black president, you still, you can't just, just use that as a, oh, I ain't, I ain't worried about it now because Obama going right. to save me. Right. <laughs> you know, because I've heard some people say that now. Oh, we could tear the club up now because we got a black president. 
And see, you know, I think the most important part, and I know, I know Greg is going to definitely speak to this, just because we have a black president doesn't give us a get-out-of-jail-free card, right. you know? Well, and that's the thing that, that I don't... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I said you said that exactly right. You know? We will, we're going to discover very quickly that as we are joyful over Barack Obama being president and all of that kind of stuff, there are people who are angry as hell that he's Ooh. the president. And <laughs> they can't get to him. They can't get to him necessarily, but they damn sure can get to you and me. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so how, how should how should not only um, since you said that, and I'm sure that's the same uh, thing that's going on in the workplace. I'm sure a lot of people are probably uh, not walking easy at work now because Obama's in office because you have some people that didn't want this to happen, and, and you know that they're pretty quick with the pen now. They'll probably write you up a lot faster and probably try to get you fired or get you out of there some type of way. So how should uh, people in general, not just blacks, but the whites as well that supported Obama, should should they even talk about politics at work, or how should they respond when someone that they know is against them and they they didn't want Obama in office? How should they How should we act? Well, my teacher taught me that when you are at work, be at work. The employer is not paying you to talk about politics. He's paying you to facilitate his job. That's what you're supposed to do when you're at work. When you're supposed to be doing all this extra stuff that we didn't got into at these jobs. And, you know, people... You know, my teacher taught me something else that I never forgot. He said to me, Brother Marcus, have you ever studied a snake? And I said, no, I had not ever studied a snake. He said, well, when you study a snake, the sense of the snake is in its tongue. So uh, if you watch a snake, a snake will throw its tongue out there. And that's what allows the snake to find out what's going on in the atmosphere. And he said, the reason you study a physical snake or the animal that is the snake is because you want to know what you're going to deal with when you're dealing with a human snake. So he said that human snakes also throw their tongue out but they throw their tongue out and ask questions. And it is through the use of skillful questions that they really can deal with you very effectively because one thing I've learned about us as black people, all it takes is somebody else to ask us a simple question like, how are you doing? And we go through everything that we ever been through with one question. So just, just take that point. For what it's worth. Mhm. You know, I, I got another question about um, when we deal, you know, certain ways that we deal it, with our youth in particular. You know, Greg and I, we deal with youth on a regular basis, and what I found is that once you gain their trust, they will tell you everything and anything. And just recently, my son had been playing football. 
and some of the kids on the football team, they would ride home with me after the games. And, you know, because they had gotten so comfortable with me talking to them and, you know, we kick it and we talk about certain things, you know, these kids would start saying just things that you would never expect them to tell you. They just start telling you anything and everything. And I'm like, whoa, 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 I don't need to know about that, you know. But it's just that right. that's, that's how they are. Once they find that they can trust you, you know, you can you don't have to ask them. They'll just tell you. You know, well, I found that's the same thing, brother. I, I just wanted to echo your point. You know, today I'm just returning home from a, a city that I had to do some work with young people in, and we've been at this for about a year now. And I just spent the time being educated. I mean, the young people were telling me stuff that, I mean, if if, if the people who um, – or their caretakers were to hear, they probably would try to get those young men arrested uh, because they were telling me stuff about gangs, and they all of them in there were in part of a gang, you know, gang banging, and they were breaking it down for me, going all into how people get into the gang, going, they were going into to the, the stacking and the building up and what gangs is where and, and, and what gangs operate in the city and all this kind of stuff. And I mean, woo, that was just such a powerful lesson to have those young people teach me. And mm-hmm. see, I, I often say to adults, sometimes we just got to just let young people lead us and tell us what's going on because in what they were saying, they were saying something that I could perhaps, they were arming me with knowledge to not help them right there at that moment but individually, I can come back at them maybe next week or the week after and follow up on some of the things that they were saying. That's how young people reach out to you. They reach out to you at a certain point where they feel like you just said, brother, so comfortable with you. They may not tell you exactly what's going on, but they really are saying to you in a story uh, that they're telling you, and they may even put somebody else's name on it somebody else's identity on it, but they may be cluing you into something that they are dealing with personally that they're reaching out to you to help them with. Yeah. And, you know, Brian, we were talking about this earlier before the show, and I I said when these kids go into the detention centers, Brian and I, we go in and we talk with these kids. We watch how they're treated. They're not treated the best. And it's it's always uh, the voices are raised when they're dealing with the kids, and then at the end of their stay, they're released back into the public. The way the system has treated these kids, and they go out into the public, they they you know they didn't have the love. They were never, uh, no one ever showed them love. No one ever taught them uh, how to deal with certain issues other than getting angry. Now that you, and, and, and we can say that the system raised them, so shouldn't the system be at fault when they release them back into the custody of the public? Well, it's as the young people were saying to me today, brother, they were saying that the prisons or the YDC or the RYDC really ain't no place of rehabilitation. 
You can't rehabilitate somebody who's never been habilitated. So a young person goes in there for maybe some little simple thing that they do or did, and and they got to serve time, but when they get into that YDC or that RYDC, they got to fight for their life because there's a gang over here called the Crips, and there's another gang over here called the Folk, and those brothers will pick at them young boys and make them choose which side they're going to represent, and they will beat them in the bathroom. You'll get beat all at the table while you're trying to have you a little lunch or a little breakfast. And, I mean, it's a hell of a thing that young people have to go through when they're in the YDC or the RYDC. They're fighting for their very life. And so when they go into these places, they may have gone in there for a little thing, but when they come out, they are somebody now. They got an identity now. They got a family now because they had to join on to the crib or the blood or the folk or the fight floors or some gang. And so when they come out, they looking to go back to whatever city they uh, came out of, and they going to represent that. Now they got identity. Now they got status. Maybe now they got something to say to somebody because the gang thing is real with these young people. And they give them a whole identity that they didn't have before they walked up in there. And that's why some of them love going to YDC or the RYDC because they get to further their education in criminology. Mm. <laughs> you know what? I think in, in the kids that we've talked with, it's love. It's People don't understand that the gang is such a tight knit. That That's right. Come on. the kids don't. This is the only love they they they've ever known. They never received it in the homes. So now that they're with these guys, it's it's a bond that no one can break. I mean, some of these kids will die for that bond. They they feel that strong about what they're That's doing right. because it's so much love being uh, shown to them. And for anyone to think these kids. Don't have it together with these gangs, you are sadly mistaken. These That's kids right. run those gangs as if it was a corporation. I'm talking about a 500 in Forbes. They run this thing from head to toe. They know what to say, when to do it, and they are really, really smart. We just have to find out a way, uh, Brother Marcus, how do we channel that greatness that's in them to run the gangs and channel it to something positive? How can we do that? Well, that's a great question, and I want to tell you something else I've learned from the wise men and women. They taught me that you can't condemn a dirty glass until you have a clean one to put beside it. You know, you can't, we can't condemn our young people. We ain't got nothing better for them to do. You know, we can't condemn them for being in gangs. And talking about they set and and going through their hand signals and 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 representing their clique when we sitting up in church and we just as much a clique in a gang as anybody else in the city. Mm. We can't condemn them when we in fraternities and sororities and you go to a sex show and you hear us talking about Q sci-fi over here and and uh, Zeta Phi Beta over here and the Deltas and the this one and the that one. See. We can't condemn them because they're only reflecting exactly 
what we do every doggone day as grown adults. We ain't united. We ain't learned to evolve. We are not evolved past our little tribe. So how can we tell them that they need to let that stuff go when we are doing the very same thing that they are doing on a bigger level? Preachers set tripping. Preachers doing what they condemning the young people. And that's why these young people can't stand about our generation. They say that we are a bunch of hypocrites because we're willing, so willing to condemn them, but we ain't willing to condemn our own selves. And in condemning them, we are condemning ourselves because the youth came from us. So one of the things that we can do is first we got to clean our act up as adults because I don't really think that we're going to really be able to affect them until the young people see that we then took off our holy robe and not got dirty, but this whole sense that we are so much better and that we are greater and that we are so moral and we are so right that we we are we we've never made no mistakes and and this whole arrogance that we tend to put on when we deal with our young people when we take that off I think that's the beginning step then young people will maybe be a little bit more willing to to listen at us and also talk to us because there's got to be a dialogue it can't be a monologue where we do all the talking to them about what how wise we are and pontificate to them and they never share nothing with us they have observations about us that will hurt our feelings if they were to say this. And I want to have shows dedicated to getting young people who are going to talk to us for real as adults and hold up the mirror to us because we have to be honest. We ain't got it all together like we be fronting the young people like we got it. We ain't there yet. So that's one of the first things that I recommend, brother, if we're talking about getting our young people uh, to get on that right road. Yeah, you know, and I agree. I think that kids today definitely take one look at you and they'll know whether you're real or whether you're fake. And, you know, they'll always say, well, I did it because you did it. You know, I'm reminded of, and I remember I think Greg and I were talking about this before, about um, Luther Campbell, Luke Skywalker, and, and uh you know, he does Skywalker Records and all that stuff and Luke Records. Right. And now he's doing, uh, like, porn and all that kind of stuff. And he has a young son, and he has a, a reality show out. And his young son was found with uh, a bunch of porno magazines in his room. And the boy says to his father, you know, because Luke's getting on him about having the porno magazines, and he says, well, Daddy, you do it. That's right. You know, and That's he says, but I'm a, I'm a grown-up. He says, yeah, but you do it. You do it That's all the time. It. How come I can't do it? That's, you know? That's it. And That's it. what our kids are saying nowadays. What's wrong with me doing it if you're doing it? That's what you know, they're it's saying. Like, it's like you tell your kids, you know, don't watch the dirty movies, but you got them stacked up in the top of your closet all the way in the back, wrapped up in right. a paper bag like the kids don't know it's there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> You know that's the thing. Or you tell the kids don't drink, but then you know they all know what that what that bottle is in the in the refrigerator that you told them not to taste because they've already that's, tasted it. That's right. They sure did. 
this is a you talk about an investigative team. This group of young this group of young people, they will investigate the hell out of something. You bring something in their house, you tell them don't. This not for you. They're, you know, only this is for the grown folk. Oh no, not not in my house, not in your house, not in any house in America. These young people do not believe in do as I say and not as I do. If we try to practice that kind of parenting among this generation, no wonder we're failing miserably. That's they right. don't That's believe right. that. That's right. Well, let me ask you this, Mar- uh, Marcus. Now, this is going to be a tough one, and I know that you're going to shoot straight from the hip. You've always done that. But we're, we want to move into talking with the youth about having sex. Now, you're talking about something hard is to tell these kids not to do this, but when they turn on the television, it's telling them how good it is and this is what you should do. And, and then they right. even have it, they're showing them the condoms. And, and some of the times they even show them how to, how to wear the condom and, and the things that they should, the, the different types of cologne and perfume. It's just like everything is so sexual. And this stuff is, in, is, is engraving these kids' consciousness. In, you know, in their subconscious mind. So when they see a, a nice girl, a girl with a nice body, the first thing that comes into their mind is they see themselves having sex with her. That's right. And, it, and, it, and it's sad because when you try to talk with them about it, and they're like, "How are you going to tell me about that when all these beautiful women are out here? This is what we want. It, it, it's not about having a relationship with them. It's about sleeping with them." And you know, you know as well as I do, the young boys, they want to get as many girls, they want to sleep with as many girls as they can. What that's would right. You, yeah, what would you tell someone that that either had sex already, you know, to stop, or what would you tell someone that's thinking about having sex, why should they not do it? Or why should they not want to have sex until they're married? Well, I'm I'm really happy that you asked that question, brother, because I write about it in my book, uh, The Wise Men and Women Have Sent Me to Tell You. Um, you know, we, again, i got to go back to us as adults. See, we can't tell young people that they shouldn't, and we doing it with everybody we can do it with. And you know, yeah. it, it starts with that man in the mirror. If you can't be faithful to your wife or your uh, partner, then how are you going to really speak with any real authority to young people? And the only way you speak with authority is when you living up to what you're saying out your mouth. When you walk in the walk and you talk in the talk, that's when you can talk with real strength to young people. And they can feel that from you. Now, when I talk to young people, first of all, I let them know up front. I'm a father. I got six children with me and my wife, and I tell them how the process started. I tell them that by God's grace, we tried to start off right. We didn't have children before we got married. We got married and then started a family. And each of the children have me and their mother as their parents, that we didn't do half a stepdad here uh, a stepmama there, or I got baby mamas calling the house, and, you know, that's your half-brother over there, or that's your half-brother over there. See, I try to get them thinking about starting 
the process right, that, that this is how it's supposed to be. See, we can't be afraid to tell our young people that there is a way that things are supposed to go if they're done right, that you don't have uh, 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 babies all over the place as a young man before you, then you settle down with some woman and you want to start a family with her, but you already got five or six other children out here with five or six other baby mamas calling you daddy. No, the way you do it, brother, is you find a girl that you really like and you really could get into, and then you spend time developing a relationship with her. See, we are not telling our children what proper relationships look like because many of us don't have proper relationships. You know, many of us got that 3 a.m. Uh, person that we can call in, in, uh, the booty call, as they say. And young people, the more of these movies that we introduce them to, where these concepts are introduced to them, then no wonder the young people want to be grown and want to have what we have and and, you know, there is no blurring, there's no separation between the world of a child or a young person and the world of an adult. That's one of the greatest mistakes we've made with these young people. We've introduced them to everything that we deal with. All of our realities are their realities. We, we make our children our best friends, and they know all of our business, so arming them with all of our business knowledge now they think they are our equals instead of our children, and they are children, and children have a place, and that place is not beside their mother and their father because the more they know of you, the more they try to judge you. And so certain realities when we were coming along as children was kept from them. And look, it goes back to you trying to be a a decent and honorable person in your own personal life. It's really with children and young people today, it's not even what you say, it's what you're doing. Because children, they go off of what we do so much more than we say. Now, I just had a conversation with my son, my son walking around here thinking he got a girlfriend at 15 years old. Well, he ain't got no girlfriend. I don't want that in my house. I don't even want that language in my house. So you, whatever you got out there, and, and, and I know telling them no is going to force them to even want this more and more. So I'm just going to guide him from my dinner table. Whatever he's doing out there, I don't see it. I don't know it unless he comes and brings it to my doorstep. But I'm going to do the best I can to guide him every day at the dinner table and tell him and put in his mind things that he needs to consider so when, that, when his moment of truth comes that he will make the right decision. I can't micromanage him. I got to live my life and he got to live his life. My daughters, they got to live their life. I can do the best I can. Mama can do the best they can at the table and at, at, at in discussion with them to tell them the right way, the proper way to do things. But guess what? At the end of the day, it's still their decision. If one of them should slip up and bring me a grandbaby, then what am I going to do? Am I going to throw them away? No. Young people, they do things. They shouldn't do them. But guess what? We did things we shouldn't have done, so life goes on. Life went on for me and my life and my family, and life is going to go on for them. But the thing that I'm trying to get them to do is put off a 
sexual relationship with that female as long as possible. It is damaging to the young man to have sex with this girl and that girl and this girl and that girl. And girls are so easy today. If I was a whore, my brother, Lord have mercy. Women, women, grown women have no problem today letting you know that if you're willing, I'm willing. That's how they are. They talk like that. You know, they let you know suggestively that, hey, whatever you want. You know, I thought T.I. was saying whatever. You can have whatever you like. It's this generation saying that. This generation is saying you can have whatever you like. And, look, I just try to do the best I can. Are y'all still here? Yes, we yeah, are. we're still here. Okay, okay. I, I hope that this phone is not interrupting y'all. But no, no, you good. Just, Keep going. I was, I was just saying that I'm trying to guide them to understand that it takes time to really understand how to do this thing. You know, young men want to have sex, but they don't even know about their bodies. I've met so many of my young teen fathers. I asked them, how did you get the girl pregnant? The young brother says to me, I did it. You did what? I did it. I mean, her did it. Well, brother, what did you do? I did it. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. I did it. They don't even understand biologically what happened. They don't even understand the effect of smoking and weed on their sperm. They don't even understand the effect of smoking and drinking on the egg of the female and how much that affects the baby. This is why we got so many low birth weight babies in the black community. These young brothers are not aware that one out of four young black girls, particularly in our community, have, they say, some kind of sexually transmitted disease. So I try to arm these young brothers with knowledge and tell them that, brother, as I just told my son at the table, God is my witness, I just said these words to him. I said, son, if you think these girls want you now, just wait till you go out here and get you a college degree and you become a somebody in this world. You can have your pick of whatever girl you like. You ain't got to rush out here because the moment y'all start talking all that, I love you girl stuff. You writing her name on your notebook, writing her name on your knuckles, writing, your, writing her name, she writing your name. Y'all so deeply in love. I've been there before. But I can tell you what all that I love you stuff leads to. It leads to a little baby, and it leads to a lot of hurt because you ain't got no money to take care of no baby, and she ain't got no money to take care of no baby. So you better cool all that I love you talk down, and you better get focused on them grades that's slipping because your mind is not on your education. It's on this little girl that you done got crazy about, and look, I done been there. That's all I can tell you is I done been there. I done been there. Look, this girl had me so bad, y'all. I remember going outside. I just got to keep it real with you. I remember going outside. I lived in the second story of a two-story apartment. And I remember this girl named Carol had me so bad about her. I remember going outside and looking up into the cloud. And I saw her face forming in the cloud. I was, I had it bad. Yeah, <laughs> bro. You was, you, oh, my goodness. You had it. Yeah. She yeah. had my nose wide open. And I got yeah. a big old nose. So you know that had to be open. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Ooh, boy. You know, but the reality behind that is that at that time, 
you your emotions are what took over. And you had really no control over your emotions, you know, when that was occurring. And that's what young people don't realize. They have to learn how to control their emotions. And most right. of them are incapable of doing that. That's right. Most of them don't know how to control themselves, and that's how, one, they end up with these babies, you know, and, two, they, you know, they they go through all these different issues with relationships because they don't know how to control themselves when they get in the relationship. They get in it and they're having all this fun, and then next thing you know, a situation comes up and they they don't know how to deal with that situation. And so they deal with it the way that they deal with all the other situations they get into. They, you know, they act out. I just seem to become a horror story, brother. And I tell those girls, too, I say, you know, that young brother, he's telling you all that stuff that you want to hear. I love you. And, man, if anything ever happened, if, if you get pregnant, you know, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to take care of that baby. You know what? You know who Bob Big Willie style do it, you know. And as soon as that girl tell that boy he, she pregnant, he be out. He don't want to talk to her. And not just do he not want to talk to her, the girl, the boy's mama don't want to talk to the girl. And she'll cuss that girl out. Everybody cuss the baby mama out. Everybody make her feel like she's the one that got pregnant on her own. But nobody ever tells that young brother, now, brother, what, why did you do this? What, what's up with you? You know, we got to be just as firm and di- on, on those young men as we do these young females. And parents got to insist that if you're ready for sex, you got to be ready for responsibility. And that's what I drill in my head. My children say, you ready for sex? You think you're ready for that? Then get married. Do it the right way. No, well, you ain't laying up with nobody up in this house, and you got a lot of us as weak parents. We will let the boy bring the girl right into our house and you know what our excuse is? You know what our precursor is? Well, if they don't have it in my house, they'll do it somewhere else. At least I know what they're doing. <laughs> Parents smoke weed with their children. Well, if I don't smoke it with them, he'll find somebody else to smoke it with. Smoke it with. That's what we say in 2008 as parents. Wow. Mm. And that's true, you know that that's so true. Um, you know, I, I, I want to ask you about the, today's youth. I, I want to ask, you know, what what is it, you know, when they when they're talking about their future, that for some reason these kids don't really understand. It, it, it's it's like they live each day based on that day. If you ask them about their future, what they want to do down the road, what they'll tell you will surprise you a lot of times. Because I had a kid tell me one time in the in the detention center, I asked him, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I don't want to live past 21. Right. And I asked him, I said, well, why, what do you mean? He said, life for me is hell. I'm hurting. No one loves me, and no one knows how to comfort me. It's just every day is I'm living in hell. And when I heard that, it was the... Worst thing that anybody could ever want to hear a child say, that no one loves him. He, there's no one there for him. And I said, well, where are your parents? My father's dead and my mom. She's dead. It's just me. And when I leave out this detention center, they're going to release me out into the public and give me a bus ticket to nowhere because I don't have anybody that I can go to. 
So, you know, when you have a kid like that, and I'm sure you've seen kids like that that don't have anything but where they are right now as their parents, what would you say to them as far as how, you know, I guess how would you motivate them to want to do more? Well, I've been saying this on every interview that I've done, brother. We have to introduce knowledge to these young brothers. Most of them are just dumb and stupid in terms of basic core knowledge that would give them a future. If they don't know nothing, that's why they walk around like there ain't nothing for them, that they ain't no life for them. We got to get them thinking beyond some kind of fantasy rap career or some kind of fantasy uh, football or basketball career that they're going to run and play basketball or be on some stage as a rapper. There's millions of other things that they can choose to be, but they don't know none of them because they got their head buried in the sand, always got an MP3 play on their ear, always listening to the rap and to the music, and I'm not condemning it. I'm just saying that we got to give them a balance to this stuff. I try to give young people knowledge. That's why I wrote the book that I wrote, because if I believe if I can get the book into enough young brothers' hands, then they would get a dose of knowledge that would maybe alter the way that they see their future and that their future doesn't have to be bleak. I came out of Brooklyn, New York. I came from Brownsville. I came from Crack City. And it never occurred to me to be a crack dealer. It never occurred to me to want to bring my people down. It made me want to do it even more. It made me want to lift my people instead of uh, bring them further down because I saw everybody else tearing our people down, selling them drugs, destroying the people. And I didn't want to be a part of that. And so the Bible says it like this. My people are destroyed for the lack of knowledge. I could say it a little differently. Young black males are destroyed, not for the lack of knowledge, but because they do not avail themselves to knowledge that's out here. But anybody that try to talk to them, most of the time they sitting there with an attitude. They try to look at you and me and us for doing the first year, so we got to spend the whole year trying to convince them that we're not their enemy. And they sit there and they twisting their hair and they talking to themselves and they talking about this foolishness that they into. And so, you know, now I'm starting to get a handle on how to break into that and, and do it a little faster than then I've been doing it because we're losing too many of them. Just this weekend, my minister, his son got shot in a club here in uh, Atlanta. He was, the young boys, they were just riding through the community, and they happened to stop by this youth teen club, a teen club. And one of the young fellas who was at the club, took and he broke out an AK-47 and shot up the vehicle that these young brothers were driving in. He killed one of the young men instantly, shot the other brother up three times, shot another one, and skinned and grazed him with a bullet. Why? Because they angry, they ignorant, and they angry, and they got weapons, and that's what makes them even more dangerous, because they don't 
care about nothing. And this is a generation that we have produced in these streets. We got a generation that don't give a doggone about nothing and nobody. And so the way you turn that around is first you got to start with your own children and make sure that this mentality isn't creeping up in them. Because it's coming through the music. This, this I don't care about nothing attitude is coming straight through the music. It's coming through the CD players. It's coming in through the MP3 player. It's coming from the mouth of these rappers. They don't realize the effect that they're having on these young people. These young people don't envision nothing for their lives. They don't envision nothing but smoking some dope or some yayo and walking around with their pants sagging off their ass and they got their head twisted up and all they looking for is the next hit and the next gun to cut with, a cutty buddy. This is what they're about. So, you know, Trying to break that mentality, it's not for the faint of heart. These young men, when you come in there talking to them, you got to talk to them and talk to the God inside of them. They respond when they hear somebody talking to them that can reach them with passion and vigor. And that's why you hear me, and I'm talking strong because that's how young people respond. It takes a, a lion to wake up a lion. There's a scripture in the Bible that says there's a lion asleep in Judah. Who will wake him? Well, who's going to wake these young, powerful young men up? They don't want no faggot coming to talk to them. They need strength, and they need somebody who's got knowledge to give them. And the knowledge, the more knowledge you put into that young brother's head, real substantive knowledge, then you start creating a vision in his head of something else that he can do, something else he can be besides be this drug dealer. You ain't got to condemn the dirty glass. Just hold up a clean glass. And who don't want to drink out of a clean glass? Well said, well said. we got about uh, just under two minutes left in the show. We want you to give out your uh, information, you know, talk a little bit about your book, and give us your website and also your contact information. Brothers. I just want to say thank y'all so much for another opportunity to be on your show. Anytime you want me, you know how to get me because I love to share wisdom and knowledge and understanding. That's not my own. I'm just sharing with you what the wise men and women have sent me to tell them. And that's the name of my book, audience. It's a book of guidance for our young black males. It's a book for them. It's a book that speaks their language. And you can purchase the book at my website. It's just $10. Why don't you get a copy and see what all the fuss is about? My website is www.marcusgerard.com. That's www.marcusgerard.com. Let me say that again a little slower. www. M-A-R-C-U-S-G-I-R-A-R-E-D.com. You can call me right now on my phone at 404-542-3808. That's 404-542-3808. If you need anybody to come to talk to these young men in your community, if you think nobody can reach them, I believe that God has given me something to tell our young brothers 
And after we give them the knowledge, then we God, and then they can pick up and do with the knowledge what they're supposed to do with it. And that's what, you know, I'm about. But I ain't trying to make slaves out of nobody. I just want to give people what I have to give them and get out their way. And with that being said, you've been listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We thank you for joining us tonight. And as always, we hope you come back and listen again. Thanks again, Brother Gerard. As always, we appreciate you coming out. And with that, good evening.